right. A couple of new things this morning. A new year, new earpiece. Hopefully I'm not booming too much. I used to wear one of these things at my old job, so hopefully I'm not fiddling with it too much. Our text this morning is going to be out of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. I'll read it for us. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him, even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for those who... Uh, brave those icy roads to, to make it here. Uh, for those who came early to get the, the heaters going, the parking lot paved, or clear device, we're, we're just thankful here that we can gather as your people, Lord, to hear your word. And Lord, as, as those windstorms, as we heard last night, are hearing right now, Lord, we just pray that your word would go forth and that power and to move as it will to accomplish what you desire pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, start this section in Philippians, you know, I often think, uh, you know, Paul must have been a sports fan of some sort. He often uses those analogies in a lot of his texts, a lot of his letters, his writings, and in the comparison of what the Christian life is. I'll remind you of a couple. 1 Corinthians 9, I do not box as one beating the air. How about Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. You kind of see him painting these illustrations of, of one wrestling and, and fighting with this as we wage war in this Christian life. But I think Paul might have been a big fan of the, the running events. He must have liked the marathon, I think, probably most of all. He talks about often in those epistles of running with endurance, uh, running with steadfastness, uh, continuing on. Yeah, I think Paul was a, a sports fan. And that's what we see here in this text. He gives us that same illustration 
of one pressing towards that prize. And if you look at the Greek terminology, this pressing is one of running intently, following after, just not stopping this continual effort. But this pursuit that Paul is talking about is not one of earthly accolades, but of a more valuable and eternal prize. And we're going to look at that this morning. If you look at verse 12 again, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, right? Paul realized he didn't reach the prize yet. He hadn't crossed the finish line. There was still work to be done. He never viewed, we, if we're familiar with the scripture, we know that he never viewed the Christian life as one of ease. It was hardships. But there was great blessing in that hardship. If you look at Colossians 1.29, this is the, the verbiage that he used for, when he was talking about the Christian faith. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He knew it was this toil, this, this struggle. But he knew that it was Christ. It was his energy, as he says in Colossians. Christ's energy that compelled him to live with such fervency for him. It wasn't this passive attitude. I know it is a term that, I don't know if it's used so much anymore. Maybe you might hear it every now and again. But Paul didn't have an attitude of let go and let God. It was a pursuit. And he was going to chase after it. No matter how difficult it was. And he knew it wasn't on his own strength. It was what Christ would grant him. What was the prize that Paul was talking about? What prize was he pursuing? If we go down to verse 14, that would, that would be the central part of the whole text. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is what he was set out to pursue, the upward call. This was the finish line. But he wasn't going to reach it yet. Right? We're, we're not going to reach it yet, this side of heaven. Spiritual perfection could not be achieved or will not be achieved in this life. But Paul was pressing towards that goal. To be made like Christ. To be made in his likeness. And he knew that that ultimate achievement was when the Christian finally reached their eternal home with Christ. Seated with him in the heavenlies. I, I think that's why Paul uses... Those words. He talks about pressing. Such an intense word. As I said earlier, it talks about in, intently running with so much, with all your energies, with every, every fiber of your being, to continue moving forward. And I guess we'd have to ask the question, what? why did Paul run in such a way anyways? Why did he run with such intensity? Well, he tells us. Verse 12. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
if you remember back in Acts, right, we, and, and we remember Paul, who used to be Saul, what he used to be, and he had that dramatic conversion experience on that road to Damascus. Paul wanted nothing to do with Christ, but it was Christ who pursued him. And he made Paul his own. And he would cause Paul to suffer. But we also know the power that he worked through Paul. So Paul wanted to go after Christ in the same way that Christ pursued him. Now, now maybe our conversion experience wasn't as dramatic as Paul. But do we see our pursuit of Christ in the same way? Do we remember, if we are in Christ, do we remember what we were called out of? Do we remember our old way and what change Christ has made in us? To borrow from 2 Thessalonians, just the image of, of what God, how he views his people, said God chose us as the first fruits to be saved. Now, if you see that, that word first fruits, you're like, oh man, I'm, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you would know that it was the best of offerings that the people brought to God. The best, the, the choicest of all that you had, the abundance that you had, whether it be from the, from the animals that you, you gave to the priest for the sacrifice or your, your produce, you offered the best. And God views his own as the first fruits, the best. We are his promised possession. The Bible tells us of that. And he has made us his own. We are called to press towards his likeness because he pursued us. How did Paul do this? How are we called to do this? If you look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I want to zero in on forgetting what lies behind. You see, Paul was able to move forward in Christ's likeness because he was able to forget the past. Or at least he didn't reflect on it enough for it to hold him back. I mean, we can look at the, the old days of Saul, the great persecutor of the church. He hated Christians. He killed Christians. He was the greatest opposer of the way, the way of the cross. He could have looked back on that and said, man, I was, I can't even grasp what I did to the people of God. He could have looked back that way and just said, I, I can't pursue you any further because of who I once was. But Paul also could have looked at all that he had done and said, I think I've done enough. If I can just remind you of, of some of the things, he just gives a quick summary. I want to read them off to you. In 2 Corinthians 11. This is just some of the language that Paul uses to talk about what he suffered. 
for the sake of Christ. He talks about for far greater labors, far more imprisonments. So he's comparing himself to to everybody else, what, what he had been through. I've been through far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's what Paul dealt with. In fact, we know that as he pins Philippians, as he did many of the other letters, he wrote those from jail. It was believed that Paul was in Rome at the time when he wrote to the Philippian people here. But he says, I'm still going to pursue because I can't look at the past, either the failures or the accomplishments. Right, it's easy for us to do that too, right? I mean, I think we fall into to both categories. We can, one, look at those accomplishments. I mean, just think of our, our church, for instance. It's been, right, it's been a faithful church. I think 70 years, 70 years, been around. That's It's amazing. A lot of history, a lot of tradition, a lot of faithful people and, and families have, have come and gone. And, and certainly we want to be proud of that. We're, we're thankful that God has given us 70 years and, and Lord willing, many more. But we can look at those and, and, and be part of that. Well, I've, I've been part of that faithful crowd. Right? I've, I've maybe taught at IBC. Maybe I've preached here a couple times. Maybe we say we've served in Sunday school. We've served in music. We've served in Awana. Might have been on a mission trip or two. Served down in children's church. You know, maybe I even went out into the Columbia neighborhood a couple times and knocked on some doors. We can look back and say, man, I, I think I'm good. I think I've done adequate amount." But we can also fall into the category because no church is perfect. It's filled with sinners such as you and I. And, and we can see at times where we've been wronged in the church or it's let us down. We've been disappointed, kind of shoved aside, not treated maybe as we should have. Or, or maybe we can even look at our own personal struggles and just say, man, I just keep falling day after day, time after time, back into sin, back into the same struggles. And it's so difficult. And I can't be used for Christ. I can't even pursue his Christ-likeness because I'm a mess myself. You see what I'm saying? So we, we stay in those categories of the high end where we feel like we've done enough or we just aren't good enough. 
Both of those ideas are sinful. Christ has given us enough. Press on towards that goal. I, you know, I, uh, I used to run at one point in my life, um, and I had a lifetime goal to do one marathon. Um, my beautiful wife there in the back. Uh, in 2017, we took a little uh, trip to, to Portland so I could try finishing the marathon. Uh, it took months of training, uh, lots of injuries, lots of ice. Uh, I'm probably not even capable of doing one these days. Uh, but on that day in October, uh, uh, we had our, our twins. They were, I think, like six months at the time. And Ashley was waiting there at the, the finish line and, or the starting line, had the kids in the stroller, and boom, the gun goes off, and off I go. I'm just, I'm just trying to pace myself. I'm just, I'm just hoping for a, just a decent finish. And, uh, you know, Ashley's tracking me on the phone, seeing where I'm at and how I'm doing. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like, man, this is going pretty good. You know, I'd hit mile 13, and I'd, I, I was well ahead of my pace. I'm like, man, this is, this is going good. I hit the mile 20, I got six miles left. 10K, I've done that before, I can do this. And then mile 22, bam. Legs gave out. Never felt that before. Never, never felt that before, what that, what that was like, where you cannot physically move your legs. And I knew at that time it was done. I had, it was going to be a struggle to the end. And sometimes I look at the Christian life that way. You know, if I look back at those last 22 miles, I'd be like, man, I reached my goal. 22 miles were good. Those last four were brutal. Having to walk most of the way. But it's this same idea that Paul had of, of looking forward. Of pressing towards the finish line. Sometimes the end looks ugly. Sometimes it's not appealing. But it's moving forward. It's just pressing. Verse 15. Paul says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God reveal that also to you. Uh, maybe some of your versions, if you have the NASB or some other versions of, of Scripture, it, it may say that any, any of us who are perfect think this way. Well, we know Paul was not perfect. He tells us that in, in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am perfect. Paul knew he wasn't perfect. But he, he talked about being mature. He knew that growing and being mature in Christ was not only to his benefit, but the benefit of others. But, you know, he doesn't do this by himself. If you notice in, in verse 15, let those of us who are mature. Paul never ran this, this race alone. He ran it with other Christians. And if we know his letters, there was other people that encouraged him while he was in jail. People that encouraged him while he was 
serving and, and wrestling with these churches that he had great anxiety over, the Corinthians, Philippians, the Ephesians. Right? He, he, he wrestled with them. But there was this importance, let us grow together. Let us grow in maturity together. And it's, it's important, right? It's one of the essential functions of the church that, that we not only meet together, but that we, we strive, we grow together, we, we read from the scriptures, we, we meet together in, in church and in Sunday school and in our homes and sometimes at a coffee shop. We can't function alone. And I think our society has, has made it so easy for us to function alone. If I look at the church, I think a lot of the churches, mainly with, with larger satellite campus churches that could have five different campuses across a, a given region. But there is this importance of the let us grow in maturity together, of, of gathering in person. Can't be replaced with the online sermon, with the podcast. It's got to be here together. You know, I think one of the biggest concerns I had, and, and I guess probably one of the biggest letdowns when you look at the past two years and all, all that the world's really gone through, I think one of the biggest letdowns was the church shut their doors. When, when people needed to gather, when, when people needed hope, Many of the churches shut their doors. I'm thankful that our church was not one among those. That Thankful for the elders and the leadership here that we were still able to gather. But I pray in, into the future that we would be that place. That Emmanuel Bible Church here on the corner of North and Lynn would always have its doors open. That they would have the doors open for the rich and the poor, for the weak and the strong, for the masked and the unmasked and the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Our church would always have its doors open. So if we are the hospital, right, this is, God's given us the medicine, right? The hope of the gospel. The importance of gathering. Praise God for Lee Brakey. I know he's not here, but he, he made this happen, getting the parking lot cleared out. And thank you for those who are here this morning. So we grow in this maturity together. Paul says, if anyone thinks otherwise, God will reveal that to him. Well, God reveals us in different ways. Right? If, if we are truly in Christ Jesus, you know, the Lord teaches us. We have our examples from Scripture, from the, the stubborn Jonah who went his own way. Sometimes God uses discipline, right, to kind of get us on that path, uh, to steer us back to direction. Sometimes we need that correction. Sometimes we need that, that difficulty of drawing back together, back to Christ. Sometimes it's through right, the working of the Spirit through the power of the Spirit, that He teaches us His Word. He guides us, reveals new things. 
Maybe it's through a Bible study that we've been attending or, or gathering with some a group of guys or, or women that he teaches us. If we don't think that the pressing on towards Christ's likeness is all important, the Lord, Lord will reveal that. Sometimes those revealings are not so fun to go through. But they draw us back to him. And thank God for that. So we need correction, right? We need to be caught back in to get on the path. And then he says here in verse 16, let us hold true to what we have attained. You know, the the Christian walk is, though it's not one of looking back and saying, man, I did really good or that was really bad, but it's just that consistency. You know, what you have attained yesterday, right? You build on that for the next day and the next day, the next week, and the next month, and the next year. And we do that until we go home to be with him or he calls us home. And then he talks about imitators. Look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul knew that we needed earthly examples. Paul knew he was not perfect. He only knew that there was one, the sinless one, Christ Jesus. But as Paul was a man and dealt with the the old man, the, the sinful flesh, but he knew that, he said, imitate me. He realized the importance of earthly examples, someone to look to. Someone that, that when they were shaken and, and gone through a difficulty, they could look to and they could say, all right, Paul's going through this. I can do that too. Right, those, those examples, right, they sit amongst us. But we need more too. We need more examples. Not, not only for each other, not, not only for everyone sitting here this morning, but for your neighbors and your co-workers. It's more that you are that example here, but also to the watching world. Be imitators of Christ. Set the example. This is how we disciple one another, right? Because as we grow up in maturity, as we begin the one that can say, okay, I'm going to take on the leadership of leading a men's group or a women's group. I'm going to take on that responsibility. Right? You're discipling other people, and you're teaching them to do the same. And that person grows up into Christ-likeness, and they do the same, right? And just on and on and on. This can start in the home as well. The husband and wife. Husband honors the Lord, sets the example for his wife and children. Wife honors the Lord, sets the example for her husband and children. These attitudes of obedience take effect in the church. And sometimes the church, right, it just functions, the small function of the church is just in the family. How you guys operate together. How arguing happens. How sharing a meal together happens. How sharing things. You start there in the home. Branch out. Be that example. We need good, solid biblical questions. And this day, I, th- I think this world is just 
is so desperate for people to look to. And we can be those fallen people, right? As, as, as messy as we are and as difficult things as, as how we deal with it, and it's not always perfect. The world needs those examples. We need to actually see that face-to-face interaction. People sitting amongst the seats, out in the workplace, wherever you may be. You know, I've always known that wherever I've been, sometimes you, you feel like you're in those dry and barren lands of like just spiritual deserts. And if I look back on my life, I'm thankful for the, the examples that Christ has given me. No matter where I've been, there's always someone that I'm like, man, that guy, that guy honors the Lord. I want to be like that. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for, if you think about your life and, and look back at those examples that, that God has given you, to imitate. Verse 18. So he tells us to be imitators. But he also warns us in verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So he tells them to set the example, walking toward the example of him, but he's also about to tell them to people who who to avoid. The enemies of the cross. And and notice the comparison. I mean, if we we know our Bibles, we know that the good examples and and those who are faithful than we look to, it's not always an even match, right? We have the, the numerous bad examples. And we have the faithful few. He says, avoid those who would be the enemies of the cross. He said this with tears. He said this with tears. You you see the the passion that, that Paul poured out for the Philippian people of who he wanted them to avoid. Because he knew that by... Being in contact with such people would cause absolute shipwreck to their faith. He said, avoid for them. For many of who I have often told you, now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. All right, we know that bad company ruins good morals, 1 Corinthians 15. We know the obvious ones. Those who, just people of the world, that would be bad examples. Uh, to lead us away to do ridiculous things. We know about those. But I think Paul was even more getting at the ones we may not always think of. The ones inside the church. And when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the Christ church, the, the larger one. Those who would sit inside the church who would masquerade as, as angels of light. They existed in Paul's days. I mean, it's, it's amazing if you, you go through that, how often he talks about false teachers or false brethren, people that are leading others astray, uh, giving them false doctrine, false gospels. Just a couple of examples of, of the ones that, that Paul was, was dealing with in his time, and in particular, the Philippian people. 
would have been the Judaizers, right? These were Jewish people who, who basically added to the gospel. It was the, the gospel plus works righteousness. The gospel plus this, Jesus plus this. We, we know that, the, the whitewashed tombs that Christ called out. We know that they existed in those days. But the Philippian people, right, were primarily Gentiles. And they had also deal with a group, the, the gentle, Gentile libertines. These guys would actually kind of pave the way for decades later of a Gnosticism. And, and what that means is that what they taught is that salvation involved not redemption of the body, but deliverance from it. And so they taught that since the body was incurably evil, it didn't matter what one did with it. Right? So they promoted that you could be a drunk, a glutton, you can follow after every sensual desire. Yeah, it was a, it was a very popular teaching. It was infecting the church. So much so that it caused all sorts of problems. In fact, it's, those problems are pretty consistent to a lot of the churches that Paul addressed. You know, they, maybe they don't exist in the, in the same form in, in today's world, the Judaizers, the, uh, the Gentiles who preach this liberation. But we see some similarities. I, I would say more so towards the freedom. I, I, you know, and today I haven't seen so much of the word in Christian circles used as I've ever heard. Words like freedom and liberty. And this is not freedom and liberty for good things. It's often you have freedom to do whatever you want, just love Jesus. Just love Jesus. You can live like the devil, but just love Jesus. You're free in Christ to do that. You're free in Christ to do this. I say be wary of that. I say be wary of that. God has given you a conscience. Do not sear it. That you would know that if any decision that you make is drawing you away from Christ, just reverse course. Paul gave these guys a different word in chapter 3. At the top of it, he said, look out for the dogs. Look out for the dogs. Uh, these weren't um, cute, cuddly puppies. I mean, the dog was a mangy mutt. Uh, a beast. That's how we describe these people who would be opponents of the cross and who would turn the people away from God. He said, avoid them. Watch out for them. All right, you see, that going back to the main point, this is why we must press. This is why we must press towards the goal. Right, because the struggle is not only just against our flesh and blood, against the desires of our flesh, but it's also to not get polluted by those who oppose the cross and that could draw us into their influence. We know what their end is. Paul talks about their end is destruction. And we don't want to fall into those, the same destruction. So that is why we press. That is why we press. Last verse. Last verse. Verse 20. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This was the ultimate. This is the prize right here. This is the prize that Paul is talking about in verse 14. I know today is 2022. Uh, maybe you're like me. You're like, man, another, another year. The last two have been awfully bad. And we're not maybe sure how 2022 is going to go. Don't know if it's going to be any different or, or better. You know, maybe we have concerns of you know, more lockdowns, job loss, inflation, more masks. When's it ever going to end? Know that our God is sovereign over all things. I take so much comfort in that. But the prize, this is what, this is what we're pushing for. I don't know what the next year is going to bring, but I know Christ will accomplish all that he desires. And he calls us to be part of that plan. As we press on towards it, right, we we look to the heavens. This is the ultimate prize, right? When this this old beat-up body, this old worn-out body, is given a new one. And we are going to be with Christ forever. But that day has not come. And we are called that in this year that we press. And we say no matter what struggles we find before us, the Lord is faithful. And he will see us through. So we fix our eyes on the cross. That is our hope. That is our hope. I encourage every one of you this morning to, to, re, to live in that same hope. Transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Can you ever imagine that? Our body being a glorious body. Where, where you can run and not grow tired. Where there will be no more tears and no more pains and no more agonies. Because we are with Christ. Yes, that is what we press to. That is my encouragement. This is what we press to as Emmanuel Bible Church. We'll trust him along the way. I want to close with this glorious hymn. It is called, I Am Resolved. It was penned by a man named Palmer Hartsborough in 1896. I am resolved. What a a word for a New Year's resolution, right? This is what he says in one of the stanzas. I am resolved to enter the kingdom, leaving the paths of sin. Friends may oppose me, foes may beset me, still I will enter in. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. That your word, Lord, is a light. We are thankful for the light of the world that came as we just celebrate Christmas, Lord. The hope of Jesus that you have given us new life. And you have called to all who are weary and heaven-laden and bogged down by sin that you too can give new life if they will trust in you. We thank you, Lord, that we put our trust in you in 2022. 
In Jesus' name, amen.